Hello, and welcome to Cauldron Cakes and Wine, a nerdy book club podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about A Court of Mist and Fury. Just a reminder that this podcast is marked explicit, meaning we sometimes swear and talk about sensitive subject matters. Be sure to check the show notes for any content warnings. Also, you can check us out on all forms of social media. The best way to do this is to just go to our website, cauldroncakesandwine.com, and we have all of them linked there. Also, if you have any thoughts, comments, concerns, you can send in an email to us at cauldroncakesandwine at gmail.com, or you can DM us on social media. The only place we won't respond is Twitter because we don't really use it. Also, just so you're aware, there are spoilers ahead. So before I get started, I just wanted to say hello to all the new people listening. I've noticed that my downloads, um, they've gone up a little bit. So hello to all of the new listeners. And of course, hello to anyone who's been listening for a while. Um, This podcast has been a lot of fun for me. It's been like falling in love with reading again. Um, And it's like giving me a bit of a distraction from life. (laughs) If you've been listening over the past couple weeks, you know that I am. I'm going through it a little bit. I'm going through a little bit of a rebellious phase with my mental health. I, I'm i just like angry all the time about all the things that uh, mental illness has sort of taken away from me and the people around me. And I'm resentful of all the stuff that I have to do to stay stable, um, like taking meds. But don't, don't worry, I'm going to keep taking them. Um, anyways, uh, my whole point is that I think that this podcast is giving me a bit of direction and... I think that some of the things that I've read have been like really cathartic for me. The Hunger Games, all the young dudes, even Akatar have all dealt with trauma and grief and sadness. And there have been some really validating moments reading them. And anyways, yeah. So I just wanted to start off by talking about that. Um, I was actually going to record yesterday, but then I had this entire fiasco with my fucking medication and I ended up missing a day of my medication. And so I took it like, anyways, this is like a big long ramble to tell you that like I fucked up my meds. So yesterday was a complete write off for me. Like when I miss my medication, it's really fucking bad. Like, uh, I slept pretty much the whole day and if you have ever been on like um you know any kind of medication that makes you drowsy like you'll know it's not just like a normal tired like you don't feel normally tired you feel drugged um so that's how I felt so I just slept the entire day so here I am now very excited to podcast because I have snapped out of it a little bit but I'm hoping that this will you know give me a little more pep in my step to do something that I'm I really enjoy and feel excited about so yeah, thank you guys all for listening, and we're going to get started on uh, Court of Mist and Fury. So today we're talking about the second Akatar book, A Court of Mist and Fury by Sarah J. Mass. Uh, this book was published in 2016, and it is beautiful. If you're an Akatar fan, you can breathe a sigh of relief, <laughs> because if you were listening to my episode on the first book of this series, you'll know that I was very on the fence about it. I felt there were some lulls in it and I wasn't that into it, uh, but I'm very much so into this one. Okay, so let's get started. We're going to jump into part one of the book, which is called The House of Beasts. This book starts off right where the first one ends. Feyre... 
She basically explains that Tamlin and her do not talk about what happened. And right away, we get a picture that, like, this is not healthy. Um, Farrah's waking up every night with nightmares. And, um, like, Tamlin just sleeps through them or ignores it, basically. Um, Okay. So, I would like to just start off right off the bat and just say that I'm very aware that I mispronounced Amarantha's name. It's a bit embarrassing. I wish I had Googled it. But we're going to just carry on. We are going to carry on persevere. Tamarin and Feyre have a reoccurring fight. She wants to go and do something, literally anything, and he won't allow her to. And I don't like him. Uh, <laughs> I knew. I, I knew it in the first book. I knew there was something off about him. She saved all of these people, all of them, and he won't let her make a single decision for herself. Okay, also, so I googled what age demographic this book was for. And I saw a bunch of reviews saying 10-year-olds could read this. And I found that pretty shocking. There's like full sex scenes where she describes him like putting his fingers in her and climaxing. And while I'm very sex positive and I think you should have conversations with your kids um, about sex, I think that this is a bit much for a 10-year-old. I think this would be more like late teens, young adults. I don't know. I just, I know myself as a 10-year-old and I've worked with many children over the years and I I don't think most 10-year-olds would be comfortable reading this. I think it's a little bit too much too soon for that age demographic. Lucian uses Tamlin's trauma as an excuse for Tamlin keeping Feyre in the castle and letting her never go anywhere. And it's like, while I get the argument... Well, I get that he watched her almost die. Like, didn't she go through a similar thing? She thought that if she failed, she wouldn't be able to save Tamlin. But he can use this as a way to control her. It's just really upsetting to see how they're weaponizing this shared trauma that they have to isolate her and control her instead of finding common ground about it. Instead of talking about it and trying to find ways to heal. I don't know. It's very upsetting to read. Farah doesn't like the titles and having to go to parties and smile and talk to people. She tells Lucian that she wants to marry Tamlin, but not his title. It's very clear that these two are not compatible. Like, from very early on, they're just not two compatible people. So we get to this part where Feyre and Tamlin are supposed to be married and Feyre is freaking out as she's walking down the aisle and uh, Resand shows up and takes her to the night court. And first of all, I just have to say, is it Resand or Resand? This name was pronounced differently in the last audiobook. Or maybe I just don't remember it properly, but I'm pretty fucking sure... In the first book's audiobook, he was, his name was pronounced Resand, and now it's Resand. So, I don't know. But they're also now calling him Reese as, like, a short form. So, okay. okay. Here we go. So, Resand says that he wants Feyre to spend time learning to read and to shield her thoughts because he can read her mind, um, particularly when she has a lot of big emotions. 
we meet Reese's cousin Moore and I thought that Moore was going to be able to see the future because she made this really cryptic comment right off the bat about how she was going to be Favor's friend and I feel really like kind of dumb now but I realized what it was later on when there's like the big reveal about um Reese and Favor's relationship um it's not that Moore can read minds Moore just knew that Reese and Farah were mates so yeah that's what that was um but whatever it's cool (laughs) uh we'll talk more about them being mates later I feel like everything to do with Reese trying to teach Farah to control her mind is very reminiscent of Occlumency in Harry Potter where Snape is teaching him how to um like keep someone from reading his mind um I honestly like didn't know what to make of Reese at the beginning. It was clear to me that we were supposed to be breaking down the barriers between him and Farah. He's being like honest with Farah about uh, like a coming war, which Tamlin didn't tell her about. He's like trying to like help her by teaching her to read and like occupancy lessons. He wants her to find out if she has powers and if she's a high lady. Um, I'm not going to lie. Like I found myself early on like really liking Reese but then there was something that I just like couldn't really put my finger on that I didn't know if I liked maybe it was some of the stuff that happened in book one that really made me question him as a character he seems to want to give Feyre agency while Tamron wants her to just like sit around and he won't tell her the truth about things so I think like we're positioned in a way where we're supposed to like Reese right away but it's very clear that the book is still making you apprehensive about him probably because Feyre is apprehensive about him but like it's clear that he is like the opposite of Tamlin even the fact that we're like calling him Reese which feels like a nickname we're supposed to be more comfortable with him than we were in the past I I think also the fact that Feyre is more comfortable in, like, the night clerk clothing, but, like, feels out of place when she's in the clothes she's supposed to wear in the spring court. Everything is supposed to be making us, like, more comfortable and moving more towards this side of the the book. Like, these people, we want to be around them because it's more comfortable. Feyre goes back and then Tamlin and Lucian interrogate her on what happened at the night court she tells um, them that Reese thinks she has powers and Tamlin confirms that she may and that others might want to kill her if they find out um yeah it's this kind of stuff where you don't like him he doesn't really give her anything to like protect herself Pharaoh witnesses Tamlin being unfair to some of his people. He will let them starve and without empathy will expect them to pay for things he knows they cannot. Pharaoh gives them gold and like some of her jewelry and then Tamlin gets really, really mad at her. And you can tell that this is like in this moment, he has lost Pharaoh. Um, I know there's like bigger moments coming up, but like I think this is the big moment where he loses her instead of listening to her and understanding um he says that she makes them look weak he will not back down and this is clearly a big issue between the two of them he doesn't understand that Farah grew up 
poor and knew what it was to starve and to not have enough and he can't see past like wanting to be right about this and wanting to be more powerful and ultimately be the one who is in control which doesn't make this a balanced relationship there's a moment as they're fighting about this where she Farah, accidentally enters lucian's mind um and she accidentally burns two handprints onto the table and i think it's going to be like at that moment i was so excited to learn more about Farah's powers and we definitely get more in this book it's so it's very cool it's very exciting I kind of realized that Farah is in an abusive relationship with Tamlin. It's a pretty textbook abusive relationship. He's isolated Farah from her family. He's trying to control pretty much everything she does. Farah goes to talk to him and make up with him after the fight that they had about the the her giving the like stuff to those people. Um, and she tells him that she feels as though she's drowning. Um, and being followed around by guards is suffocating her and Tamlin explodes a bunch of things in the room all around her including the windows and this is like pretty like textbook abuse right like it starts off with isolating you verbally abusing and controlling you and then start to break things around you the next natural step is physical abuse um so eventually Pharaoh like tells him that she wants to leave but Tamlin puts up a shield around the whole house and Moore comes and takes her like she basically helps her get rescued and they take her to the night court where Reese tells her that she can stay there but she's allowed to leave anytime she wants and that it's not a part of their monthly agreement so that means that she's there completely on her own free will. Okay, so we are now going into part two called The House of Wind. Uh, Reese ends up taking Feyre to Valaris, which is basically this city that Reese has hidden um, from the rest of people in Perithian. And he takes her to his house and he shows her Valaris um, under, of course, the agreement that if she ever went back to the spring court she would never tell anybody about it so this is a place that uh reese worked really hard to protect from amarantha which means that it is still a secret to this day um i felt like this was really good world building um like just much more organic than what was happening in book one we're still kind of getting like information dumps but it feels more organic the way that it's happening and there's a reason why we are in these places there's also a steady pace of information about the high lords how powers work and like which ones pharaoh may or might not have um and how she can use them i think it's really funny in these books how they use the word cauldron um, as a swear word it's like in the place of swear words a lot of the time I really like that and I thought it was funny kind of reminds me of how on the hundred um, they would say go float yourself as we're getting to see Valaris everything there is like warm and comforting in a way that Farah like never felt about the spring court she just she likes the clothing and the jewelry and very early on it's clear she prefers the way the general public interacts with Reese compared to how they interacted with Tamlin 
Um, even the fact that Valaris is known for its artist quarters and obviously Feyre is an artist, it's clear that like even the surroundings of where she is are comfortable and more her home right off the bat. I realize that like because of her trauma she's not painting right now but that is a huge part of her character and it's almost as though Reese's world is created for Feyre. She immediately fits and doesn't have to pretend to be something that she isn't. In Tamlin's world she never fit. She was always uncomfortable. We meet Reese's family in quotations because this is a very much like found family situation going on here um and I like Reese but as I was reading these early pages there was still a part of me that was wondering if Reese was just doing this to manipulate Feyre because there are things that made me really question him in the first book um and there's sometimes early on which I now know why I felt this way, but I felt that sometimes he was not always being fully honest with her, which he wasn't, but we understand and learn why later. But so this dinner is another info dump. And while I still agree with what I'd said before, where this has a better pace than the first one, I was realizing that... um, this is a series-wide issue. I do think it's more organic in this book, but it's still an issue. We meet so many characters at once and learn so many backstories. It's a little bit, it's almost overwhelming. I know, right? Like the girl who's obsessed with slow burn is like, ah, why are things happening so quickly? (laughs) Oh, God. So Reese does what Tamlin never could he uses his like past to comfort Farah in the middle of the night when she wakes up from a nightmare and I just love these little moments with them that build trust and build that relationship and the bond that they're building through shared experience I think it's really beautiful we find out that there's a cauldron that created life and everything and that if you had this cauldron you could bring your soul back something i listen all of the like backstory stuff i find confusing i care much more about the character stuff i'll try to talk a little bit about it but it's it's hard because everything like i said it happens so quickly so it's hard for me to really recap that kind of stuff because there's so much of it all at once but basically they're trying to find this really important book and the book has two different parts and um it all has to do with this like coming war I haven't read this many books since I was in university. I used to read, like, when I say in university, I I was reading for university, but I was also reading a lot just for pleasure when I was in university because when I would be on the subway, I would read all the time, all all the time. Um, Lots of fiction and fantasy. And then I went through a phase where I just didn't read at all. And then when I restarted reading, I... I wasn't really into fiction. I was reading like essays written by women like and I was, you know, like Roxane Gay or I was reading stuff by like Jenny Lawson. And one reason was because I wanted to read books that were by women about being a woman. And because I realized that most of the books I'd read in my life had centered men and stories were about men and about the male experience And 
partly because I wanted to be an adult and I felt like reading um, nonfiction was like more adult or something. <laughs> Which is fine because I, I felt that some of the stuff I was reading was extremely validating. Reading about mental health and being a woman is extremely, extremely validating. I read um, it's a series of short stories that is curated by Roxane Gay called Not That Bad and it's all these different Um, stories about sexual assault and harassment and the underlying themes in it being that everybody thinks that their story was not that bad Um, and it was so validating to read I remember it being like this like really really cathartic experience anyways that's all to say (laughs) that I kind of I haven't read anything like this kind of stuff in a really long time and so it's pretty exciting to kind of like fall in love with reading again and I feel like I'm figuring out what I like in a book all over again. Um, It's pretty clear that I don't love the super smutty stuff. (laughs) I'm okay with romance um, but it has to be like a slow burn. I'm okay with toxic characters but the characters around them have to have what I deem as being a realistic reaction to that. Um, It's clear (laughs) that I don't love overly complicated world building and info dumps and yeah one that I'm finding which is kind of random is that I don't like repetitive statements. Like in this book, she keeps saying that um, things are being shredded to ribbons. Like how many fucking times are you shredding fabric to the point where it's like so small it's ribbons? How often can that actually happen? In all the young dudes, it was um, that serious black smile. Like, okay, we get it. It's a distinctive smile. In Twilight, it was um, anytime someone grimaced or smoldered, I was like, fucking kill me. (laughs) Like, get a thesaurus, guys. Like, please, somebody edit your books better. I can't handle it. I will say, though, the way that people talk about these books online, I really thought they were going to be, like, there was going to be a lot more sex in them is basically what I thought. Um, I thought that this was going to be, like, the fantasy version of Bridgerton, like, there's sex and it's pretty detailed when it does happen and I'm not gonna lie like I skipped over a bit of it but it doesn't happen that often like literally people online call this like fairy porn and so I was thinking it was gonna be like Bridgerton where like large chunks of the book were just sex like and that's it but I didn't find that (laughs) I think I think everyone's exaggerating a little bit guys (laughs) So it was around here that I started to get a bit lost and I had to focus back in on it. This happened for a number of reasons. One, we were getting a lot of those like info dumps like I was talking about. So it felt like really dense, but also it was like poorly timed with the like few days leading up to my sister's wedding. So I kept going to do things and putting the audiobook on to do it while I was like, you know, cutting or folding things um, for the wedding. And then like, you know, 10 minutes in, I would get a call from someone. (laughs) And this is like every time I went to put the audiobook on. I love, 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 love the slow build of Reese and Farah's relationship. I love how they're bonded together through common experiences and how they're like 
this is drawing them together. I love how we're getting new perspectives on Reese um, all throughout the book. We're learning like to trust him more and more through every single chapter. And I think that that development is so slow and nuanced and I really appreciate it. I think that the slow build of this relationship turns like a bit flirty and soft and meaningful. And I like how that happens. They're going to take uh, Farah to the summer court. And I was pretty excited to go to another court to see what it'd be like. So they go there and Farah has to find part of this book and she uses her powers to figure it out and manipulate the High Lord of the Summer Court. And as excited as I was to see another court, I really didn't find it that interesting. Um, I felt like Valaris was way cooler, <laughs> but it's okay. I think I'm just learning that there's a Goldilocks zone for me in terms of universe politics. And I find that, um, you know, there needs to be some. Like, I couldn't handle a book like Bridgerton where everything is romance and character stuff. But then, you know, a book like this sometimes has a bit too much for me. You know, things like The Hunger Games, uh, Harry Potter, all the young dudes, they fall into the Goldilocks zone for me. Things are happening, um, you know, in terms of the politics of the world around them. There's a lot of things happening, but there's also such dense character studies that are happening. And I just find you need to have like a fine balance of both. <laughs> So they steal part of the book from the Summer Court, and now the Summer Court has sent them rubies to tell them that they're going to kill them. And we get to the point of the book, which is the Starfall celebration, which I think is one of my favorite parts in this book series so far. Uh, they go and they watch all of these like shooting stars, only they're not shooting stars. It's something so much more beautiful. They're spirits on a migration. And then they dance and celebrate. And they get to wear these like beautifully described clothing. Ugh, like such a beautiful moment in this book. I, I need them to make a movie just so I can see this scene. Feyre and Reese had gotten into a fight before the Starfall celebration. And during it, they make up. And they have this really beautiful moment where Feyre like jokingly paints something on him and then she smiles and she realizes that she's painted something again for the first time and that that's the first time that um, Reese has seen her smile and she calls him her friend. And I love that this is clearly going somewhere romantic, but I love that they become friends before they become like romantically involved with each other. He tells Feyre that he regrets the kiss under the mountain and I'm glad that this was addressed and that he feels this way about it because um, like even if he had done it to keep her safe, it was still wrong how it was done and I'm glad that he recognizes that that was wrong. Okay, so I wrote down this quote because I thought it was really beautiful. The power did not belong to the High Lords, not anymore. It belonged to me, as I belonged only to me, as my future was mine to decide to forge. I really like that. If there's one thing that um, Sarah J. Mass is really, really good at, it is beautiful writing. Like, 
I don't just mean like the character development or world building. I mean like the actual like sentence structure and words that she chooses to use are really, really beautiful. Lucian finds Farah in the woods and he says that they have been hunting her and he wants her to come back. And I always felt that I liked Lucian, but he kind of just makes me a little bit sad now. Um, like the fact that he was willing to try and take Feyre against her will is pretty gross and pretty sad. Um, and the fact that like he clearly knows all of this stuff is wrong, but he just keeps doing it. I really hope, really hope we see a redemption arc for him. So of course, Feyre and Reason happen to have to stay at a roadside inn and they happen to have to share a bed (laughs) okay shocking i know um okay so this gets like pretty steamy and i get why people say it's very boring i still think it's a bit exaggerated i mean i don't want anybody if like if you're one of those people who just like listens to recaps of things that you've never read i get it i do that but if you're listening to this and you're going to think that it isn't graphic, like, no, that's not true. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, like, I think that there, I just thought there was going to be more of it the way that people talked about it. I thought like the whole thing was going to be that way. I actually didn't, like, mind it that much. Like, a lot of it I found, like, pretty romantic, but it's still, like, not my favorite thing to read. And I was actually talking to my partner about this. I was like, it's really weird because, like, I don't have a problem watching, like, a sex scene in a movie, you know? Like, I didn't have a problem watching, like, Game of Thrones or something that had, like, tons of sex in it. But, like, why does reading it or listening to an audiobook of it make it different for me? I don't know. It's really weird. Let me tell you, though, if you happen to be a man... I don't know why, but I would be shocked if there were many men who listened to this podcast. But let's say, let's say you are a man and you're listening to this podcast. Hello. Welcome. Um, (laughs) Like, if you ever want to know what women want, I would say you should read something like this. Find romance books that are, like, popular, that are, uh, like, written by women for women. Do not watch porn and think that that's what women want. I mean, maybe some women want that, but, like, listen, there's a reason why this book is so fucking popular. Like, go and read it. Go read it. (laughs) Like, some of the stuff that Reese says during this chapter is objectively super attractive. It's, a lot of it stems from him, like, putting her needs first. You can tell that this is written by a woman, no offense, but no man writes like this. No man writes a character that cares more about the woman's needs in that moment than their own. I saw a TikTok of a man saying that um, book talk talking about these books is the same as a man having a porno collection that he shows off. And to that I say... Just tell me you've never made a girl fucking come. Just tell me. Like, a smart man would read the book. <laughs> First of all, a smart man would, would actually go and read the book. But also, like, 
the percentage of sex to rest of the book is like 5% sex, 95% rest of the book. I didn't realize that like pornos had like actual plots and character development. I mean, like maybe I'm wrong. Who fucking knows? Maybe I missed those on Pornhub. <laughs> like maybe they were just drowned out by all the brothers and sisters fucking and casting couches and men assaulting women. Sorry, I missed that. Fuck man. Like the fact that this is like an just like an actual book like you it's fine book talk literally ran him off of tiktok like he deleted his account we're good (laughs) okay so recent gets attacked by like arrows that are covered in poisoned and pharaoh has to go and trap i'm sorry i don't know how to pronounce his his name anyways basically she finds out that she's recent's mate Um, this means that they're basically like soul bonded together and Feyre gets pretty mad at him and at first I was a bit I don't know I didn't understand why she was so upset but then I realized that like it made sense Um, she feels as though he made a decision for her and he didn't tell her because she couldn't like handle it which is exactly what Tamlin did he constantly kept things from her and made decisions for her. And I I get that that is why she would be so apprehensive about this. It would just bring up all of these other questions. Like, did he go to rescue her from Tam- the wedding with Tamlin? Um, or was he going to stop her for his own gain? And I think we know the answer. I just think the character had to figure that out. Part three... The House of Mist. Moore um, basically takes Feyre to this cottage so that she can be alone. And it's a, like, family cottage for Recent and all of them. And <laughs> Feyre paints the entire cottage. Like, just straight up fucking paints it. And was, this sounds like a manic episode. It's pretty funny. I think it's really funny that, like, when Moore shows back up, like, she's like, cool. And, like, when recent finally does come he's kind of like oh cool (laughs) can you imagine this fucking girl just goes to like your family's cottage and covers the whole thing in these paintings of you guys anyways um okay so fair is ready to leave the cottage and (laughs) she's ready to paint again and go to the artist quarters and she's ready to be with recent so she's picturing like her life with them together and she pictures a future and that she realizes this is the first time that she has pictured a future for herself and now she has something to fight for and I think that's really really beautiful um I think that that is something that anybody who has experienced some kind of trauma can understand is like that moment where you kind of like part through the trauma like the the fog of the trauma and you finally see this future for yourself again and I think that's such a powerful moment so Reason comes to find her and we get Reason's perspective basically on most of the first book knowing that he knew she was his mate and he says when he heard her name it felt like an answer to a question he'd been asking for 500 years wowza swoon like so fucking romantic i can't reese's backstory is really 
really dark though like he basically has to have sex with amarantha and it's pretty dark um i i really appreciate that the author chose to do this with reese's backstory i think that it is not as common to hear stories of men being sexually assaulted um even though that 100% does happen and women do assault men as well and so I think that this is a sort of atypical kind of character arc for a male character but I really appreciate that she went there and that she wrote it in such a nuanced way so basically both of them tell each other that they love each other and Vera says that she wants him to know that she's broken and healing and that every piece of her heart belongs to him and I just think so beautiful and sad but beautiful at the same time then there's some like stupid bullshit about how when a man takes his mate he is really aggressive and like fights and some other stupid shit I don't know take it or leave it for me (laughs) so they go back to Farah's human home which I didn't mention before but they had already gone there once before but I just I didn't mention it I don't know why so they're there now and they're trying to get um the second part of the book from them and there's this moment where Nesta demands the book and sticks up for her people and I really like Nesta I want more Nesta (laughs) I think she's a pretty fucking badass character um but so they end up they're given one of the books but all the other queens didn't want to so it's behind their back that this one woman gives it to them when they get back to Valaris, they find that the queens have um sent in an attack and let me fucking tell you Farah goes and defends the city and she is so fucking badass <laughs> like so cool Farah and Tamlin um come face to face again and basically we find out that Tamlin has been working with the king of highburn who is the one that like we're having a war against and he made a bargain with him that if he gives him Feyre, that Tamlin will let him and his forces through Perithian. And they have Feyre's sisters there. Um, so this is basically the whole climax of the book. Um, they end up turning Nesta and Elaine into immortals. And we find out that Lucian and Elaine are mates. Feyre tricks them and basically, like, says that she was, like, under, like, Reeson's, like, spell or something and that she was able to break out of it and that she's truly still in love with Tamlin and she's going to go with him. Um, and basically, they escape with Feyre's sisters um, and we find out that Reese made Feyre High Lady of the Night Court and that they are true equals um and it ends with Feyre being brought back to the spring court pretending to be with Tamlin and this is a pretty wild ending it's so exciting you want to read the next book so fucking bad when you find out all of this stuff and one of the cool parts of this is that Lucian clearly knows that Feyre is lying and he is caught in between 
rock and a hard place because he knows and he knows the only way to sort of get anywhere to be back with Elaine, who is his mate, is by working with Feyre, who is lying. So that means he has to betray the night court. So it's very interesting. I'm very excited to see where Lucian's character goes. And I'm I'm really hoping that there's a little bit of a redemption arc there for him. Um, okay, so final thoughts. I understand why these books are so popular, especially among women. A lot of women have experiences with trauma and have been in abusive situations. So I think the idea of finding a man who understands that darkness and the sadness and the trauma that you feel and who can connect with you on a deep level about it and who you can find healing with somebody who will like be there and help you through your trauma and share that common ground. Um, Somebody who becomes your friend and then slowly builds into like a more trusted like person who you end up falling in love with. A man who cares about your needs, a man who doesn't want to save you, but wants to give you agency to save yourself while still deeply caring and being there to support you. It's, so incredibly written to be exactly what someone with trauma would want from a romantic partner. It's just so incredibly written. I don't know. (laughs) It's clear that only a woman could have written Reason. (laughs) I really, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to any of the guys who might be listening. If you are a guy listening, I'm sorry. Like, men have written many wonderful wonderful books but it's not typically that I've ever read a book where a male author has dealt with this subject matter this well sorry anyways I'm really glad that I kept reading past the first book I understand that we had to have that first book the way it is to get to where we are now um and that we had to go like through that um and to like to question recent and to have that character development it had to happen the way that it did it was really like a trust the process moment i think and it's interesting because i think that that was a pretty bold and brave move from a writing perspective to make the book start off where it did and have it really that first book not really be the setup of any of the relationship like that Tamlin is essentially going to be this like villain I mean I think that's what he becomes right like he becomes a a very villainous character so it's it's interesting that the whole first book sets up their relationship um only for there to be that downfall um it's it's I really enjoy it it's just it's a very bold move because I think as a series that could have gone not well from a, a reader's viewpoint like what if the readers just really loved Tamlin and then book two came along and like whoosh. <laughs> I mean it's not what happened but you know like that could have happened anyways so I think this book is a lot better than the first one and I really enjoyed it um yeah that's all I have to say on this book I'm very excited to read the next one I'm gonna start reading it pretty quickly we're gonna we're gonna jump right in there um 
yeah other than that really glad that I did this today I'm like it's funny I I was sitting up I had a whole setup sitting up and now I've just like propped my like blue yeti right next to me on the couch and I'm like covered in a blanket and I'm just like so cozy recording this podcast um but no it was it was good to record I'm gonna go to the store now I'm gonna buy some like oranges and uh I'm going to get some cloves, I think, and I'm going to make a little, a little witch's brew. <laughs> oh, God. I need to go back to work. Fuck. <laughs> if anyone has a job for me, please help get me out of my apartment. Okay. I'm uh, no longer talking about the book, so I think that's my cue to end the podcast. Um, Be sure to go onto our website, which is cauldroncakesandwine.com, and you can find links to any of our social media there. We have Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and Tumblr, and if you have any thoughts, comments, or concerns, you can send them to cauldroncakesandwine at gmail.com. Other than that, I hope you guys have a lovely day. Happy spooky season. It's upon us now. (laughs) 